Today is Thanksgiving week. Anybody excited about that besides me? Woo! This is a great holiday. I got to tell you, this is actually one of the Pruitt family's um, biggest holidays. This is one of this is the Super Bowl of holidays this week. Uh, my dad loved this holiday more than any other, um, and he would pre- he would begin begin preparing for this holiday weeks and months in advance, um, baking cornbread in those cast iron skillets and putting them in the freezer. And my mom's going to cry about this because anyway. But, uh, hi, Mom. It's okay. He's, it's, it, he loved it. Um, so he began baking these things of cornbread and stick them in the freezer so that the day before Thanksgiving, he could create what we refer to as dressing. Now, a lot of you have dressing. A lot of you have stuffing. But it's n- not near as good, okay? I'm, I promise you. I promise you. Everybody that's had it goes, that's the best dressing I've ever had in my life. And it really, really is. And the day before Thanksgiving, he would assemble it all. And we, ha- we had tons of it, first of all. And there was this big plastic tub. And he'd dump all the cornbread, sage, onions, celery, turkey stuff. Everything that goes in the... And it's, you, you say it sounds like mine, but it's not. I promise you. It's not like yours. But he was an early riser. And he'd get up at 4.35 o'clock in the morning. Most mornings. He may even have gotten up earlier on these mornings and made what we call testers. Okay? Testers are little bitty pyrexes like this that he would do and bake in the oven and test obviously and uh, then he would taste one and i'm sure it was awesome but then he would add more awesomeness to it by way of more sage or onions or whatever that he deemed necessary to make the best dressing ever and every year we always said this is the best dressing ever and it really was anyway i'm drooling now so but our thanksgiving our thanksgivings were really opulent times i mean like over and above and I, I'm, we had the hugest turkey that, that mom could find and the giblet gravy. But, um, you know, that stuff. Ham, salads of all kinds. Desserts that would make Betty Crocker herself hide in shame, you know. But the crowning glory was always the dressing. Just, and we put it first in the line so you could get the most of it. And we had, a, we had like 12 to 15 humongous pans of it to where you could go back for second, thirds, or fourths and still take home some for the week to come. But... Um, it was always at the front of the line. It always took precedence on you. I'd put a big old glob in the middle and then maybe a little turkey, or a little, you know, salad, something. But it was the, it was the best part of Thanksgiving. And so here at ANC, we've, we've kind of surrounded our Thanksgiving uh, and kind of made a Thanksgiving sandwich for you. This week I'm teaching. Next week John Church is going to be here sharing. And uh, this week is the dressing. Next week is the turkey. So I'm sure I want him to hear that somewhere. Uh, but anyway... Let's do a little word association this morning, okay? Um, Jesus is my Savior. What? Lord? Anybody else? Huh? Comforter, Redeemer, good. Leader, good. Hope. Jesus is my hope and guide, yeah. Anybody else? Good. I'm glad nobody said homeboy. You know? (laughs) One of the dudes in the first service was wearing a homeboy t-shirt. Jesus is my homeboy. I was like, no. Anyway, he really wasn't. I was just made fun of him for doing it. He's still here. Um, But as I was preparing for today's sermon, nobody said master. Lord is kind of like that, but nobody said master. And I think in preparing for today's sermon, you know what nobody else also said? We kind of said parts of this, but who grew up hearing personal Lord and Savior? Anybody? Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Um, I heard a... I read something from David Platt, who is a pastor that's been kind of rocking my world lately. Um, and uh, he's really challenging me 
with this. He said, nowhere in Scripture is Jesus referred to as someone's personal Savior. He's referred to by the people that followed him as Lord, Rabbi, Teacher, and Master. And I think it's really significant because, you know, if, if we say personal Lord and Savior, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I really don't. I'm not knocking that, kind of. Um, but if you say, per, it kind of has this connotation of kind of like my personal trainer. Not like I've ever had one, but, you know, it's kind of like this dude that I hire and he works me out and, you know, he's there when I need him and, you know, I can go do Thanksgiving and when I come back, I've got to work off what I didn't do right during Thanksgiving. And he's kind of, he's on my clock and he's on, you know, I, I pay him. Um, and I, and I, I think that uh, really does not create the connotation of my absolute duty and service to him. Uh, there's no hint that I was purchased uh, with a price rather than the other way around, you know, rather than I pay him to do what he does. Certainly there's no hint that he's my master in that. So if, if my primary rela- relationship to Jesus is that he's my personal savior, I've created a nice, neat theological package of owing my life to him, but no real commitment to serving him and absolute surrender and obedience. So while there's nothing wrong with that, you know, that phrase, personal Lord and Savior, I wonder if it doesn't water down a bit um, the way we think about Jesus, you know. I wonder if, if, if we're willing to um, claim the name of Jesus, but we're not really willing to take up the cross of Jesus um, and die with Jesus. Maybe, just maybe it got a little too personal, or maybe it got a little too comfortable. So today we're going to read in the passage of Romans 6. It's on the back of your outline if you didn't get a Bible like I told you to. Uh, but we'll read in Romans six thirteen through 23. Just follow along. I think it's going to be up here too, right? Yeah. I didn't even look last time because Ryan's so awesome. Um, so six thirteen. do not offer any part of yourself to sin as instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as though those who've been bought, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you were, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you, not, do you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's, uh, Paul's talking to this new church at Rome who's never really been instructed by an apostle before. You know, we talk, we've, we've kind of been marching through Romans. And uh, this, this church just uh, has popped up. And he's given them basic structure and basic teaching and a system of salvation that they can reproduce. And so that's what, that's what the Roman letter is. He's also reminding them of their new life and their new allegiance and their new master. In Romans 6, Paul chose an interesting analogy for salvation of slavery. You know, I, there's, there's, other, there's other analogies that he makes uh, in the text, but this, this uh, portion he chose slavery. He's addressing a crowd that knows slavery. 
there was actually 30 to 40% of people in the city of Rome and around that were slaves. They made up 30 to 40% of the population. So it was pretty much what you and I grew up learning in the history books about uh, slavery being uh, you could have a cruel master or you could have a, a, a decent master. Um, but, but regardless of whether your, your master beat you or whether he welcomed you into his home and his table, um, there was no doubt that you were completely subservient to him. In ancient times, there was three ways to become a slave. Okay, three ways. One was to be taken in war. One was punishment. And one was to be born a slave. Okay, and like Brandon talked about last week in Romans 5, um, in our case, we're born into slavery, all of us. Since the fall in the garden with Adam, we're born and brought into this life slaves to sin under the headship of Adam. And it's not our individual sin that makes us slaves to sin, but the sin of Adam. And this is the slavery we're all born into. So your first blank on your outline is we're all slaves. Feel good about yourselves. You're slaves. Um, Verse 14 says, For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. So, But Paul's assuming the fact that, that the believer's union with Christ, it removes you from one dominion to the other. It removes you uh, from a slave to sin to a slave of righteousness. And justification of, but by faith removes you from that one to the other. So, And the word under in that verse 14 implies authority and power. So in other words, we change masters. Okay? So here's a couple of dangerous thoughts I thought about this week through this passage. And, and uh, one is, if, if, I know, if sin is no longer my master, can I master sin? Can I have authority over it? The answer to that is no, if you're taking notes. Is the, is the overthrow of sin an excuse to sin? Because Jesus has beaten it, so I'll just, you know, I'll just sin a little bit. and I, it's, you know, It'll be on the books. It'll be taken care of. He's got me covered. And these are the ideas that Paul's responding to in this text. And he says, most certainly not, or God forbid, or may it never be. Some may be tempted to take this truth and twist it a little bit, um, but that, that's who he's precisely writing this letter for. There are many churches today that don't want to teach the grace-only method, message because it's dangerous. It puts, it puts you know, grace in the hands of a believer. Well, I, I, we're not scared of that because, because grace... Amazing grace um, saves us. We, we're taught that uh, in, in Ephesians that it's by grace we've been saved through faith and, and, and that grace alone. Um, so we're not scared to teach about grace as a means of salvation because we're saved by it. And two, hear me in this, a true believer, a true believer cannot abuse the grace of Jesus Christ. So a true believer can't because, because the Holy Spirit lives in him within the true believer. And he makes slaves... The Holy Spirit makes us slaves to what is right. As Charles Spurgeon put it, an unchanged life is the mark of an unchanged heart, and an unchanged heart is a sign of an unregenerated life. Abusers of grace are not following Jesus. So we've got two choices. We're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to righteousness. Those are your next blanks. Verse 16 says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. A slave, uh, by definition, is, is totally uh, obligated to serve his or her master completely. Therefore, a compromise between sin, a life of sin, and obedience is not an option. 
So no one can faithfully serve two masters. We're taught that in the Bible in Luke. However, independence is not an option either because believers are slaves of Christ and those who do not know are in bondage to sin. So there's no, there's no middle ground. There's no, uh, I think Revelation talks about being lukewarm. You know, you can't be lukewarm. You're either hot or you're cold. Um, there's a pastor, Francis Chan, who, who gave a brief illustration on this, and I love this guy. Um, and instead of stealing everything that he said and just saying it to you, I decided I'd just show it to you on the screen here. So um, take a, we'll take a couple minutes and see what he's got. Yeah, the, the, the arguments I've had where, where uh, you, you know, people have said, you know, one guy, I've been in my church for like 15 years, ever since it started. I thought I was one of the key guys. And, and he comes to me, you know, just, just not too long ago, and he goes, you, you know, Francis, here's the problem with you. He goes, you think everyone needs to be this radical. You, you think that Jesus calls us all to be radicals. He, he, goes, he goes, you know, you, you think there's just these, these few radicals. And, and, and he goes, you know, there's this, you got to understand, there's, a, there's this middle road where, where, you know, people, you know, they profess Christ and they do some good things. And it's like you're, 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 you're neglecting that whole middle road. Did you guys know that? There's a narrow road that leads to life. There's a wide road that leads to destruction. And now there's this new middle road. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. Like a carpool lane. You, it's just this, this weird new road we created where you can just do some good things in the name of Jesus and still hold. It, it's, it's, you know, it, you know you just go, you're serious right now. You're dead serious. You found a middle road. I, I, you guys, I, I, I'm not a real, you got to understand, those who know me know that I'm not a real complicated guy. I, 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 I tend to think like a kid. I tend to just go, wow, well, it seems like what it says. You know, I, I, I remember when, uh, when I was a kid, we used to play this game called Follow the Leader. Remember that? I mean, some of you guys don't because you just played video games. And, <laughs> you, 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 but... We play this game called Follow the Leader, where the leader, you know, flaps his wings, and you do the same thing, and it was easy. You, you just do what the leader did, and it's so weird how in the church we've twisted this, and follow Jesus is a different game. You don't really have to flap your wings. You don't accent. You can just sit there and do it in your heart. Seriously. <laughs> You know, when I read the scripture, it says, man, whoever claims to, to, to know it must, must walk as Jesus walked. But we go, well, no, I'm doing that in my heart. You're like the kid sitting on the recliner going, no, I'm flapping my wings in my heart. It doesn't make sense. It's, 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 it, we, we distort things because of what we want. You know, remember, you remember Simon says? That was easy, right? Simon says, pat your head. But Jesus says it's a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you, you, you just have to memorize it. That's what we do in the church. If Jesus said, you just got to study it. You, you just got to, you, you just have to be able to quote it in the Greek. You, you just, it's, 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 it has nothing to do with, hey, Jesus says. You, look, look, when my daughter, you know, comes to me and I go, look, go clean your room. She knows better than to come back a few hours later and goes, Dad. I memorized what you said. <clears throat> I can say it in Greek. 
In fact, some of my friends were going to come over and we're going to do a little study on what it would look like to clean my room. <laughs> it just, it's not making sense to me. And, and all I can say is that we're twisting things. We do. We do in the church. And we, we create this little way where we don't actually have to do what Jesus called. That is good. And one thing, I've, one, one thing I, figured out, I figured out this morning, I was like, I know what I love about his style. I know what I love about the way he teaches is he has incorporated sarcasm into the message. So I'm like, hey, Ryan, I'm blind up here. Thanks, dog. But it's so true. I mean, it is so true. Um, we're told in Matthew 6.24 that no man can serve two masters. If we have refused to allow God to be master, then we by default choose sin. Here's the thing. If we aren't slaves to righteousness, we're slaves to sin. There's no middle road, no carpool lane. If we aren't willing to go make disciples, if we're not willing to love our neighbor, if we're not willing to look after the widow and care for the orphan. If we're not willing to go, and if all we don't want to do is sit in a huddle and study, we aren't doing what he said. I like it. Matthew 7, uh, 13 and 14 speaks about that salvation as a small gate. And we enter through that small gate, and few find it. But that's just the entry point. This is where we start. And we start the, the, the salvation journey. But we mustn't forget the second half, where it says that the narrow road leads to life. And we enter through the main gate through Jesus' death on a cross, but we also remain on the narrow road. And that narrow road is the road to, to sanctification. That's what we talked about, Brandon talked about last week, being set apart for Christ's service. I had a friend tell me this week that he really admired the Amish. I don't know why we got on that, but he's like, I really admire the Amish. I'm like, yeah, they got some good things, but I don't know that I would admire them or emulate them. I mean, because... They're not, they're not engaging. They're not engaging our culture. Um, they're not, they're not uh, engaging. What did I say? Um, they're not engaging our culture or, for, or furthering the mission of God. Uh, his response was, well, they provide a witness. They provide a witness. I was like, well, a witness to what? I said, I... I I want, to be, I want to follow the example of Christ. And I'll, I'd rather be known as a friend of sinners. And he said, uh, well, all right. So I've seen people my whole life being a witness. And, and what that, you know, at best, being a witness in that manner is just neutral to the kingdom. God's called us to more. Being a follower of Jesus is a decision, not just once, but one that you make every day. Will I get up today and will I follow Jesus? Not just following Him in your heart, like Francis Chan says, but really following Him. Not just memorizing what He said do, but doing it. And not just quoting what He said in the Greek, but living it out. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, I like Alabama football. Okay? Maybe, maybe you don't know that, okay, about me. If you're visiting, everybody else probably does. But uh, it's not because my parents both attended there and my dad played basketball. It's not because the first jersey I ever wore was a number 73 Crimson Tide jersey. It's not because my wife and her friends and family are all from Alabama and huge Alabama fans. It's because when I was in high school, I was signed to go play football at the University of Alabama. Okay? Um, and when I, signed the dotted on, when I signed on the dotted line, I changed my authority 
from myself and my parents over to the university. And, and this was pretty evident to me the first day that I showed up. Um, we were there for voluntary workouts in August, and it was about 105 degrees, and we went out to the track stadium. And that, this dude don't do track stadiums, okay? But so we started by running. And then when we finished that, we ran. And to mix it up a little bit, we ran. And, I mean, for times I had no business I couldn't make. And it was, so then when we did all that, and I'm about to die, I'm like, we're huddling up, we're about to go. We, we headed over to the stadium, to the, uh, to the bleachers. And there were about 30 rows up, and you ran over and up. You ran up, over, ran backwards down, over. It was about nine times. And we did that. You came, and you ran over to the beginning again. And I'm like, when are we stopping? Anyway, I about died um, just on our voluntary workouts. So, and not that I ever attained superstar or all-American or even starting status, okay? I, but I was on the team, and I was part of an elite group of guys that were uh, giving their all. And when we... The idea and, and the effort behind the work that goes into being a football player, that goes in, into doing all the work that it takes to do, is because they want to win. And then they really want to win the fourth quarter. That was, that was one of our key areas that we wanted to target as a football player was winning the fourth quarter. And you guys have seen, if you go to high school football games, college football games, you see the guys raising up four fingers. And you're like, okay, well, it's just signifying the fourth quarter. Well, no, it's more than that. It's reminding themselves and reminding the guys around them that, Remember the sacrifice we made in the offseason? You remember all the blood, all the sweat, all the tears even? Um, that, that's reminding you. Remember the broken bone you got in your hand? You know, all, all the weights we It's a reminder of that, you know, that we're there to win the fourth quarter. And although the summer workouts were super hard and painful and two-a-days were sweltering, I would, lose, I would lose 12 to 15 pounds of practice of just water. And we were drinking, you know, we were drinking during the, the practices, too, they, they had little water things. But I would, you know, you'd weigh before and weigh after, and I'd lose 12 to 15 pounds every practice. It was that hot. But if you take that, multiply it by 10, squash it all down, it nowhere compared to winter workouts. Winter workouts were held underneath the gym uh, in, in the, where, the, where they played basketball in what they called the lower gym, and they turned the heat on. So you're walking out of freezing temperatures into a, an 80-degree, and your lungs are just burning, um, and... I can see I, mean, I, can, I see it in my nightmares now. There's, you know, the four quarters of the gym, there's trash cans. And you're either doing the drills that they've got you going through to, and there's so much of it that you're either doing that or you're throwing up. You had, there was no, there was nothing else to do. Dry heaves didn't count. None of that, wore, it just, you were either getting better, working hard, doing this, or throwing up. Um, I remember, a, I remember a, another freshman that I went to school with hiding. Now, this is a big guy. Uh, hiding in the corridor, crying, hoping he wouldn't get noticed. Um, and he was noticed. It was too bad. Um, I remember a senior linebacker during those lower gyms pretty much uh, writhing in full-body cramps and them dragging him over to the stairs and jamming IVs into his arm to get him uh, the, the fluids that he needed. And I remember standing over the trash cans throwing up stuff I don't remember eating, you know. Um, but we chose that type of slavery because... It was, it, was, it was an honor, and we sacrificed for that because we, we were part of an elite team. But we had to choose every day whether we were going to get better, whether we were going to work hard and become stronger, become faster, all these things to be a part of that team. And we weren't just sacrificing for ourselves. We were sacrificing for the guy next to us, and we were sacrificing for the least of us, of which I found out I was that guy. So, um, so being a follower of Jesus is a daily decision. 
Not just one where, where you sign the dotted line, raise your hand in church, or check that box in the info card. That's, that's the beginning. That's the beginning uh, for, for some of us. It's a starting point and a landmark day where we change masters. But in, order to serve, you know, but in order to change masters, you've got to start serving the master that you've changed to. Am I willing to sacrifice my plans for his? Am I willing to go where he says go? Am I willing to give up my dreams and my thoughts of what my life should look like for his? Will I follow Jesus today? Honestly, when I signed that document, I remember that day too, signing that deal for the University of Alabama, I had no clue what I was getting into. It was way bigger than I thought. Uh, much like when, when you or I decided to follow Jesus. We, much like Peter and John when Jesus called them out. You know, they had no clue what Jesus was going to require of them either. But, you know, looking, when, I, when, I, when I look at the scriptures, when I dig into the Bible, when I see those guys uh, and, and the, the, what they gave, I'm embarrassed to the level that they're called to. And I'm just to love Jesus and love others. That's pretty much what he's told us to do. Um, is he really master of my life or, if I've given, or have I given him an honorary master uh, in my life? Is he really master of my finances or is he just master over one-tenth of my finances? Do I trust him to take care of my family or do I trust myself more? I think of things like homelessness, the orphan crisis, water wells and trees in Ethiopia, human trafficking. And these are all things that Christ has called us at ANC to be a part of, to be aware of, to care about and to engage. These are my master's causes. These are my master's causes. Therefore, they're my causes. Okay? These are the things along that narrow road that we'll, we'll find out. Verse 21 says, What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you're ashamed of? Those things result in death. That next blank on your outline is slavery to sin leads, leads to death. Paul was saying, so you were a slave to sin. So how'd that work out for you? You know, those things you were ashamed of? Why? You know, how, how's that going? Many of, us, many of us in here have stories of redemption. And, and redemption is just being bought back. But, what you know, the stuff we were bought back from, I mean, if, if there's no way you could share that in a room like this. There, there's too painful they're too embarrassing. Uh, the places we've been, the things we've done, the people we've stepped on, the lives we've ruined. Um, a lot of those times, they were just a blur. So Paul's just saying all that together. How was that freedom? You know, that freedom you got to experience. How'd that work out for you? Um, when we're slaves to sin, we can go through life oblivious to the things that, that, are, that are important to God. You know, stuff that's on our, the stuff that's on our radar is all about us. You know, we live in this world where everything's all about us. And, and we can run across need and, and come across people that actually have needs, but we don't have the bandwidth or the resources available because it's all about us. So on the other hand, God does not keep us in His service against our wills. Because as slaves to righteousness, we desire to please our Master with everything that we have and everything we do. And as we please Him, we are growing and becoming holy. This is a progressive goal of our, of our salvation. Not, not merely to one day just park it up in heaven next to Jesus, but to, but to grow in His likeness, grow in Christ's likeness daily, and that others might see us and want to be like Jesus. The next blank is, Slavery to righteousness leads to freedom. Verse 22 says, But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. 
Circle that word leads, or two words, leads to. Because this is a process. It's a process. Christ having made us gloriously free, this is Galatians 5, stand fast and do not again be hampered with the yoke of slavery. Matthew 11 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This sanctification being set apart, being slaves of righteousness, actually manifests itself in freedom. This life in bondage to Christ is living for Him, giving ourselves all to Him. Everything. Okay. But, you know, a lot, a lot of us are probably going, okay, I'm not talking, what I want, what I want you to hear me say is, we're not talking about being a slave to religion or being a slave to a denomination or a membership in a church, okay? I'm not talking about subjecting yourself to scrutiny and whims of the religious, okay? A lot of us have done that. It's not cramming your life full of ceremonial things or, or uh, re- restricting your friends or behavior modification. Those things are cults, okay? We're not one of those. In church, I've encountered people who are freedom robbers. I call them freedom robbers. Paul calls them Pharisees, okay? And they, they have a voice. They, they tend, in churches, they tend to have a voice. Uh, they think they do anyway. But these guys, uh, they want to have a voice in our lives. And sometimes we listen to those voices. And what it does, basically, it handcuffs us, handcuffs us from the, uh, us from the freedom that, that Christ gave us through his death, burial, and resurrection if we listen to those voices. I've had people at ANC go, hey, can we do such and such at our restore community? You hear that? Y'all hear that? I'm hearing waves behind me. I'm like, this is, I'm at the beach. It's like a nightmare. Um, so, but, I, but I've had people ask me, just, can we do this at our restore community? I'm like, you know what? That's really not for me. You've got the Holy Spirit inside you. Um, if, if you do this in your normal, everyday life, we're to be who we normally are. So, I just want you to um, be that person. If you're following Jesus and loving your neighbors, you have complete freedom. As long as I've been in ministry, I've always seen myself as kind of this rogue church renegade. Thanks. If it comes off. But somebody, you know, somebody that doesn't really do things like everybody else or maybe the church would expect you to do. Um, when, when leadership would ask me to serve in this area or lead this group or talk to these men or, you know, lead these youth or whatever, I would look around and go, me? You don't like, you don't like the way I do things. Why are you asking me? But I believe because I, I tapped into and recognized freedom while others hadn't. And we didn't always see eye to eye on the extra biblical stuff, the stuff that has no bearing on salvation. I said stuff when I was leading the youth group that made mamas go, what did he say? And I had a, had an elder's wife come up to me after one of them. She was in the back. And she goes, I don't think you can say that. And I was like, why not? I mean, I'm, I, the problem is I don't take myself too seriously. So I'm kind of this big joker and, you know, just kind of the way I am. I, I, and the reason why I do, I joke is because I'm funny. I mean, I, I am. I mean, I, I say, see, I don't even mean to be and I sometimes am. So, but that's just, that's, that's one of those freedom things for me. Um, growing up in church as kids, mom's going to appreciate this. Growing up in church as in kids, we wore suits and dresses, you know. You dress, remember leisure suits? Those of us in the 70s, woo, mom would dress us in these god-awful leisure suits uh, with the white stitching or whatever, and my sister in her little dress. And the funny part about it to me was that we'd get up, well, I, wow, is that mine? Um, the funny part about it to me was that we'd get up 
real early to get, get your shower, get your, you know, eat your breakfast, brush your teeth, all this stuff, and then getting these, getting dressed up. And then you'd jump in the car, and my dad would throw on the Statler Brothers 8-track, uh, listening to the latest gospel tunes, and we'd hightail it to the church while he chain-smoked all the way. And so we would, we would pile out of the car. We'd pile out of the car looking awesome but smelling like little ashtrays, you know. It was awesome. But, you know, Jesus, Jesus actually addressed this with the Pharisees. He said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. Your outsides look awesome, but your insides are dead men's bones. Um, I like leisure suits, Mom. Sure. But anyway, Jesus, and the thing is, is that if, if you still believe, you, you know, you need to get dressed up to present yourself to, you know, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't have a problem with that. Um, and, and, and the church, we, we as a church don't. We just want, you know, we want to prepare our hearts the same way that we prepare our outsides. Uh, even better. We want, we want our hearts to be receptive to the word. Uh, and so, you know, he wants us to be the same person up here, out there, out there. He wants us to be the same person every day of the week. So that's why, you know, we don't wear suits up here. And I don't, I, well, I have one. But anyway. But in, you know, it's, it's, and it's not about what we eat. It's not about what we don't eat. It's not about what we drink or don't drink. Um, in that we have complete freedom, okay? So we have a choice to make today and every day, is do we want to choose a master who's out for our destruction, or do we want to choose a master and give him authority in our lives who gives us freedom? Verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The result of sin is not only a physical death, uh, because everybody in the room is going to experience that in one, one way, at one point or another, but the death Paul is referring to is a spiritual death or an eternal separation. So, and a wage is something that we earn because we're born into sin. It's not our individual sin like we talked about, but it's we're, the headship that we're born under. Okay, so if I gave you, if I gave you, if I said, hey, I want to give you a million dollars, all right? And you said, well, I need to really think about the tax implications of that. Or I don't really know why you would give me a million dollars. Or I don't really deserve a million dollars. Or... I need to go home and change to accept the million dollars first. Um, and you walked away without the million dollars. Um, if you came back and I wasn't there, you know, you would not be a millionaire. You know, again, that gift of salvation is a gift that we freely receive. We don't have to become, wait to get prepared for it. And fortunately for us, God is always there to, with that offer of salvation. He's always offering and willing to deliver. Yes, but if I accept the gift, will I become a slave? A lot of people are scared of that. If I, you know, if I accept Christ at, at His offer, do I, you know, am I then, you know, am I then a slave? Well, yeah, well, you already were a slave. It's just a matter of who your master is. So, you know, we, we've got to choose our master wisely. That's the last. That's the last blank. Choose your master wisely. Well, I'm not like Jesus Jr. over there. You know, he knows all the Bible and and he leads all this stuff and. Um, I don't know that I ever even want to be that. Great. Because God's made you, and he's, he's in the business of taking what you've got and in your life and refining you to more to his likeness. That's what, what it talks about at the end of verse 19. When you offer yourself to righteousness, it leads to holiness. Again, that leads to that process. It's a process. It doesn't happen all at once. It's like being a part of that football team, that process, that holding up the four fingers. I think about those... Those games when the when the field's winding down and the players raise their hands and I'm up in the stands raising my hands too. Y'all do this? You want to raise your hands in support? 
well, I am no more part of that team. I am no more part of that team. I'm just, I'm just raising my, I'm an old dude, raising my fingers with their colors on, claiming their name, wanting to be a part of that team. You know, and sometimes we, sometimes we do that with God. So choose your master wisely. Okay, let's pray.